Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reese-Manel, and I am one half of your hosting and production team. Eric Klein here. I am the other half of the host and production team for Radio Survivor. And today we will be talking about community as it relates to podcasting. Uh, you know, uh, podcasting is has been a topic that we've talked about here on the show. But it, How could we not? It's been a little bit uh, on the back burner as of late. So much has been going on this year around community radio and internet radio that we haven't uh, given podcasting much to. Not in the last, like, uh, seven or eight episodes. Yeah, exactly. And so Eric uh, has been gracious enough to to talk a little bit about another project that he has going on here in Portland, Oregon, that really, I think, kind of fits the bill of community podcasting. And we'll, we'll definitely kind of uh, put the context to that in our discussion and, and kind of tackle uh, uh, some elements. And, 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 and I love that Eric shares uh, this work with me, and now he's going to share it with everyone else. And I think um, it, it, it kind of prompts some conversations, new ways of thinking about podcasting. It certainly expanded um, how I think about uh, all of this work, community radio, community, and yeah. Uh, media. So, yeah, it's, uh, I'm really looking forward to talking with you about it, Paul. And Jennifer Waits will join us for College Radio Watch. She's going to share her 98th radio station tour. 98th. 98 tours of radio stations that she has done and shared at at uh, radiosurvivor.com. And uh, since we started the podcast, she's been sharing them with us here on the show. Hashtag 100 radio tours. Yes, we need you to uh, guess what is going to be the number 100 radio tour coming up, uh, the big reveals in a couple of weeks. So uh, Facebook us or uh, tweet at us, hashtag 100 radio tours, 100 radio tours with your guests. And if you get it right, we'll, we'll give you a shout out. We'll do something special for you. We'll figure it out. How's that? We, we don't know, but you know, we're making up on the fly. So, and later on the show, it'll be uh, Jennifer's 98th, tour uh and it's from the borough of brooklyn is what we'll tell you right now and you'll have to stay tuned to find out more about this interesting and fascinating station as well uh you know i guess we should just always tell you that this is part of radiosurvivor.com where we try to report on what's going on in great radio so uh, we do encourage you to check it out if you have a chance uh, if you're not already a radio survivor reader we could also use your help We'll tell you right up stop. We'd love to make this radio a radio show that could be shared with non-commercial stations anywhere, especially though you know, low-power FM stations around the country. Um, we could use your help to do that. Um, your financial support does a lot to offset the costs associated. Uh, right now, you know, we do have people who help us out every month with our Patreon campaign, patreon.com slash radio survivor. Every uh, contribution of a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars a month helps us uh, do more. None of us currently draws a salary. Um, so really, this money gets piled into just keeping the operation going, making sure the hosting is there. Uh, but with a little bit more funding, we can do more. And one of those things is to distribute this show as a full-on radio show so that we can spread the love of great radio, community radio, community podcasting, um, internet radio to many more people uh, who might not otherwise encounter it here on as a podcast. So go to radiosurvivor.com slash support. We could really... Use your help. Of course, if you have any comments, send them to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Up next is College Radio Watch with Jennifer Waits. Jennifer, uh, thanks for joining us over Skype. Oh, thanks for having me. 
Always a pleasure. And uh, so you are nearing in to your 100th radio tour. It's a very exciting, monumental event, I think. Uh, and uh, so we're counting, counting up. It's really not a countdown. We're counting up to 100. And, and today you're going to share with us tour number 98. Is that correct? That's true. It's it's kind of even hard for me to believe it's tour number 98, but um, it is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And maybe uh, just for perspective, you could remind the listeners. Uh, so what started you on this quest? When did you start it? What started you on this quest to to visit uh, college and community radio stations? So it was in 2008 um, and it was soon after I'd started my own blog, Spinning Indie, and I think, I feel like I had, I was covering the culture of college radio on my blog, and I remember reading about a college radio DJ in the Midwest who visited another station, and he wrote up a report about it. And I think that's what inspired me to start doing my own tours. I thought it seemed like a cool idea. So so what I decided to do was whenever I was out of town, I would make some time to visit a college radio station. And for the initial tour, I wanted to visit an under the radar station in Boston. So Mm -hmm. I went to see WECB at Emerson College, which is the college radio station at Emerson that people haven't heard of. (laughs) They have two. Yeah. So they have, um, is it WERS? Um, which yeah. is a pretty well-known station in the Boston area that is also run by students, but WECB is more of the underground, scrappy student station. Jennifer, what do you get out of visiting uh, the physical location, the building, the people, uh, rather than just like uh, I don't know, reading about a station or, or listening to its to its uh, web stream? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, it probably goes back to some of my training in journalism and ethnography where it's, it's completely different to do something in person. You get to see all of the artifacts, um, being in the physical space, hearing the music, all of that I think is so much more interesting than just reading about it or watching a video. Um, although it's fun to do those things too. Um, if there are videos out there about radio stations, I try not to look at them before visiting because I feel like it, it sort of spoils, you know, I like to, I like to arrive and be surprised. So I don't like to, I don't like to know what it's going to look like before I get there. You know, I definitely do research so that I know what questions to ask, but I try to be, to leave the, uh, the appearance of the station a surprise. And when you started, did you have a goal in mind? I mean, did you think you were going to be getting into the 90s up to 100? Or was it really just uh, the first step on a journey and you were only considering each next step? No, I didn't have any sort of goal in mind. Um, around the same time, I started a similar series that was a virtual tour series. And for that series, I wanted to profile a station at every single state. And that was based on email interviews with different stations. So that one had more of a tangible goal of covering every state. But with the tours, it was more just, you know, what stations might I happen to visit? And then there were certain points where, you know, I've gotten more obsessive about it. Like how many stations can I visit on this one short trip that I have? Um, So if you look through 
I have all of the stations listed out on my spinning indie blog and I have it divided by years. And there's some years where you could tell that I'm really ramping up. Um, there was one year where I only visited one station, but then there are other years where I visited more than 20. And yeah, the year that I visited one station, it was family radio. So it was, it was an epic one. (laughs) And that of course was the religious broadcasters that we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, who became famous for, uh, putting up billboards all around the world about the end of the world approaching. Uh, it didn't happen. They were wrong. And so you were, uh, you sort of had the scoop there for a moment on a, on an international news story because you had toured, uh, their radio station prior to it becoming, uh, international news. So Jennifer, you just mentioned that you you were at the same time simultaneously you were working on virtual tours in in addition to your physical to your physical visits. So I'm wondering like what what was different about writing up the 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 real station tours? Um well, I mean I guess pictures is a huge part of it. When I first started, I mean if you look at my first few tours, I don't have that many photos included. But as the tours have gone on and the photos have kind of taken over and I've gotten a better camera, I take a lot more pictures. Um, So for me, that's become a really important part of the story is the visuals. And with the virtual tours. What's what's going on there? What what do we see? Oh, I don't know. I just, I think it just takes you there when you see the records, when you see weird signs on the wall, uh, when you see um, a strange pop culture artifact or... A skull. I've seen a number of skulls at college radio stations. Um, so, so college think- radio stations are they're sort of their their physical environments. You know, get sort of decorated. Uh, in a, in a, often in a sort of hodgepodge, it's sort of a pastiche, but it's based upon it's sort of like years and years go by and, and things kind of uh, it seems as though things layer up. Right. Uh, every yeah. generation leaves its mark on the station visually in this way. And that, to me, makes it feel familiar and like home. Um, You know, I feel the same way about when I go see, when I go to a music club in a different city, there's always something that feels familiar and comforting. And I feel the same way about college radio stations. There's something comforting. As a longtime DJ, I, I enjoy that space. And so when I go to another station and I see a sticker covered cabinet, it makes me feel like I'm at home. Um, and certainly there's stations that aren't like that. Um, I've been to a number of stations that have remodeled and they've had restrictions about putting things on the wall. So not every station has that lived in look. Um, but, but there's still always something interesting to take a picture of and talk about. And so your uh, next or the, the, the tour that you're going to share with us is at Brooklyn College in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and uh, that station is at WBCR. Is that correct? It is. Yeah. Uh, BCR for Brooklyn College Radio. Are so they allowed East- to put stickers up? I saw some stickers on cabinets. Um, Not one of the sterile environments that you were describing? <laughs> yes. And when I walked in, there was a lovely mural painted outside of uh, one of their studios so they had some paint on the wall as well. Uh, they also had some cubicles, which maybe is less less familiar and more corporate looking. Um, so they had the whole array <laughs> of things physically. Um, the interesting thing, I was on this whirlwind East Coast trip, to, trip in February, and I was trying to jam pack in 
so many station visits. So I actually went to see the Brooklyn College radio station right after I arrived at the airport. Um, and and this was one of the first times that I nearly missed my tour. Um, I got in early, so I was all confident that I was going to get there on time. But through a series of public transportation mishaps, <laughs> um, including a cab during rush hour in Brooklyn, um, I, I was rather late, so I, I nearly missed the tour. So it was a bit frenetic, um, and I'm really grateful to the director of radio there, Miguel Macias, uh, as well as radio survivor friend and WBCR faculty advisor, John Anderson. Um, they stuck around even though um, we had limited time. But this is just, you know, kind of a little insider thing about my tours. You know, I, I'm pretty good at scheduling things, but sometimes things go awry. So that. <laughs> yeah. Like, was- like, like traffic and, and I, and, and Brooklyn college is situated in the Flatbush neighborhood. If, if I'm uh, correct. Uh, so it's, it's not exactly right. It's not exactly close to say Manhattan, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not quite out of the way, but it, it's, it, it's, it takes a little bit of a journey to get there, whether you take public transport or, or a different uh, mode yeah. of transport. Yeah, and people seem, you know, and then by the time I took a cab, the cab was confused about where the station was because, (laughs) you know, everybody is confused about where a station is on campus. Mm. Because it's not normally something, it's not a landmark uh, in in a common sort of way. And so so it was like circling around in these one ways, you know, like, ah, I'm I'm late. I need to get here for my tour. And so WBCR, uh, tell us about the station. Is is it uh, broadcast? Is it online? It's interesting. Um, it's kind of unusual in that it is an unlicensed AM station. It's primarily an online station, but they also have an unlicensed AM signal under the Part 15 rules. Um, and I was asking about that, and and they were saying, oh, yeah, we guess that still works. And they tested it out for me when I was there. <laughs> and, and so we could hear it. Um, it was so, still working. So I guess not too many students are walking around campus with their AM pocket radios uh, trying to tune in to BBCR. I guess not. But, but you know, it's really interesting. After my visit, I did a little sleuthing about the station's history. And it turned out that around 1970, um, it was a carrier current station and they were looking into installing transmitters around town and local businesses, including banks for Hmm. some odd reason. (laughs) Um, So they had the idea of spreading the signal for this campus only station to the town with transmitters. And I hadn't really heard about that before uh, because normally carrier current stations in, you know, the forties, fifties, sixties, you know, from my, from what I had been told, um, they mostly have had transmitters on campus. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting to hear that they were looking into installing transmitters off campus. Yeah. I mean, carrier current for those who may not be aware of it um, is when they actually broadcast AM through the uh, power lines. So you can use the power lines as like one big antenna. Um, so it was often used on camp college campuses because basically the, the, the station will only radiate, you know, 20, 30 feet away from the power lines, but you could easily broadcast to a dorm, broadcast to many different buildings uh, without um, needing a license in that way. And probably when they wanted to do the, the transmitters off campus, they're probably going to do part 15 
transmitters, free air, meaning, you know, into the airwaves. And, and there are a number of folks have tried that sort of scheme using multiple low-power AM transmitters that are synced up one way or another in an area to, to broadcast and sort of uh, create a bigger presence than one of these little tiny unlicensed transmitters could cover on its own. Um, very rarely has such a scheme lasted very long, unfortunately, because it's sort of an interesting and good idea. But it's but it's interesting that they're still doing the uh, the part fifteen, which means it's a legal unlicensed uh, uh, broadcast uh, on campus. There, that, that's legal kind of unusual. Unlicensed. What kind and of radio? Maybe, and oh. perhaps um, perhaps that's the descendant of of what yeah. I was unearthing about the seventies, which is kind of interesting. Um, after I wrote up my post, John Anderson was interested to hear all of this because, as is often the case, <laughs> sometimes I dig up more history than those yeah. involved with a station know about the stations. Jennifer, so, tell us what kind of radio they make there uh, today. Um, well, so it's a variety of radio. It, they have music and talk shows. And when I was looking at the schedule, it seemed like there was a lot of talk. And huh. it sounds like it's not necessarily by design, but um, there does seem to be talk on most of the programs. Um, who's doing the it, talk? Who's doing the talk? Yeah, community uh, well, members or students? or It's a student station. Um and they have show they have live shows Monday through Friday, which is kind of interesting. So that's part of the reason I visited the station right after I arrived at the airport. Um, part of the reason was because the station was not open on the weekend, so I needed to visit on a weekday. Um, and is it so. it's tied in with their journalism program? Is it not? Ah. So do they have news? Are these talk shows kind of newsy, or are they uh, a little more uh, kind of pop culture? Do, do you have a sense of that? Mm, I don't really have a sense of that. Um, and it was quite the expedited visit. So <laughs> we'll have to listen. <laughs> so part of what I I was more focused on sort of the history and the physical space. Um, but yeah, and there were, and I, and I actually didn't get into the on-air studio. Somebody was on the air when I was there, so I I poked around and took pictures of the other broad, of the other production studios, but didn't get into the on-air studio. So I'm not sure what the show was at the moment I visited either, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting. Um, another kind of interesting tidbit. And this happens a lot. I was warned ahead of time. Well, you know, we don't know if you should really race to the airport or from the airport here because we're worried that you're not going to see that much because there's not much to see here. <laughs> so you mean it, so? So what happens is that the uh, the folks at the station the hosts. kind of feel like oh, it, it's sort of mundane. They're, you yeah. know, it, it's just you know, it's some microphones, it's some boards, and and you've seen one station, you've seen them all. They're it's overly they humble. Feel. Yeah. Yes. Oh, there's nothing to see here. We're really small. Like, oh, there's nothing in that room. (laughs) Like you don't know what radio is. Right. You know, it's not really fun. Did you see anything uh, unusual? Anything that's that stood out that was that was particularly unique or something you don't encounter too often? Did did you did you see such a thing? Um, Well, I mean, I the fact that it was part 15 and we heard the AM signal that that was unusual. there was also a locked door that they opened and I was like, Oh, what's in there? And I saw photo albums uh, that, you know, so there's stuff that people don't, you know, you like, you don't really notice things that you see every day. Um, And so I pointed out things like photo albums that had pictures of the station from maybe the eighties. So that was kind of fun. I mean, these things aren't necessarily unusual, but, 
kind of fun things that I spotted. But as we've talked before, often, you know, these little tidbits of history and archive are are lost or people, if they exist, they don't know where they are. And so the fact that they have these photo albums and and know where they are (laughs) actually seems to me to be kind of unusual, all things considered, is it not? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Oh, and another really cool thing. So they have, um, they have a few things in the station referencing Hyman, Hyman Brown, who was a radio drama pioneer and was involved in the production of Inner Sanctum, among many other programs. And he was at Brooklyn College in the 20s, in the 1920s and 30s. Hmm. Um, so, and that was before, as much as I can tell, that was before there was any sort of radio, um, any sort of radio classes on campus. But, but again, we'd have to do more digging to find out. Um, but he remained a friend of the school and the station and even did a radio drama program there in the early two thousands when he was in his nineties. Wow. So I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. And, um, you know, it'd be great to hear recordings of that. I didn't get a chance to ask about that. Um, so I thought that was, that was pretty amazing. Um, and, and yeah, back to the history, um, we did find out that there were radio classes in there as early as 1948. So, you know, around his time, I'm not sure what was going on on campus in the twenties and thirties, as far as radio went. And so did the station exist then as a carrier current? You know, it's really hard to find out. Um, I, I unearthed that they were a trial member of the intercollegiate broadcasting system in 1942. And so that was an organization that was really trying to, um, get stations who were building carrier current stations organized. So they were a trial member in 1942, and I know radio classes were happening in 1948, yet uh, the station seems to celebrate an anniversary of a station launching in 1968. So that doesn't mean necessarily that nothing was happening in the 40s. Right. It seemed like they were working on it, uh, but I just... You know, it's the kind of thing where I would probably have to go through old student newspapers and yearbooks to find out for sure. Right, go and and do that primary that primary research. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Again, once again, you know, it, it just shows this history of college radio so interesting because, you know, there is this sort of history going back as you point out in, into the twenties, and until uh, at the creation of FM, there really wasn't a reserved space for non commercial radio. So, you know, uh, and, and I think and, – and of course, uh, AM transmission uh, is, is complex and expensive. It takes a lot of space. You need big antennas. Um, and, and I can imagine that's why a lot of you know, schools decided to, to go with carrier current uh, because it would allow them to serve an on-campus population pretty well um, at a relatively low expense, all things considered. So it's interesting to me that I, I didn't even realize that the IBS uh, was, was organizing carrier current stations. Back then in the 1940s. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was that was why they started. Um, and some of the people behind, you know, what could have been one of the first college carrier current stations at Brown University, they were, you know, the original folks behind IBS. So um, there's this great little book, The Gas Pipe Networks, that recounts those early days of carrier current starting in 1936. So I I like to go back to that little book and dig up tidbits like the fact that Brooklyn College was a trial member of IBS. That's how I found that information. Right. 
Once again, uh, a tour is giving us both sort of an eye into into the present and how the station is now and into the past of not just that station, but uh, college radio, but also, I mean, it's radio. This is the story of radio. So we really appreciate you uh, sharing uh, the story of WBCR with us, Jennifer. And this will be, uh, you're, you're going to share this right up in pictures at radiosurvivor.com? Yes. In fact, it's already posted, so you can take a look now. We'll go ahead and we'll post it at the show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And coming up uh, next week, you will be uh, sharing station number 99. And we will not reveal that yet. So folks are going to have to wait until uh, next week. And then the big reveal will be, of course, station number 100. I know. Coming very soon. So, so. Make, maybe uh, start your office pools. Make your bets. <laughs> uh, give us a guess. Uh, tweet us at, uh, at, uh, at Radio Survivor or go to our Facebook page uh, for Radio Survivor. And uh, we should come up with a hashtag. Uh, we should uh, w- uh, hashtag 100 radio tour. 100 radio tours. I, I'll, yeah, I'll take it. Hashtag yeah. 100 Radio Tours. Yeah, 100 like Radio Tours. So tweet at us what you think the number 100 ways, and we'll see if somebody wins. And, and if somebody does, we'll, we'll find something. Uh, maybe maybe some uh, some stickers or something. <laughs> that makes me <laughs> want to go back into uh, into your archives and, and start tweeting out links to, to you know, number 22, yes, number right. 44, finding finding tidbits that, that are uh, exciting to me and and using that hashtag. That's exactly. going to be my project this week. Well, thanks again, Jennifer. Oh, yes. And we'll talk with you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye, Jennifer. Bye. So, Eric, so tell us a little bit about your your podcast project that, yeah. that, that you're now on episode nine. Is that correct? I just released number 10, I number believe. Number 10, okay. Well, so I have a show that I call Derailer, which is- um, I love that name, by the thank way. Thank you. I tell you every time, uh, but I love it. It's on iTunes. It's on the internet, derailer.xyz. It is my new radio show that uh, doesn't air on the terrestrial stations at the moment, but I'm always uh, thinking about whether or not I should be approaching- uh, the numerous community stations that I am now uh, blessed with being nearby here in Portland, Oregon, uh, because it is a, st- a, a program, the, the derailer show that uh, I'm working with groups of uh, improvisers here in Portland and making making the show. I think that's all I really want to say about it. Other so than, what, what kind of improvisers? Oh, uh, uh, co- comedy improvisers. OK, it's. Um, there's a certain Portland style of uh, live comedy improv that's, uh, I think, similar to other big cities, but not necessarily um, heard on uh, podcasts the way that they do it around here. And so I'm really excited about being uh, somebody that gets to uh, capture that butterfly, as it were, because these live theatrical events are so special and so unique. They happen only once. These stories that are spontaneously generated by writer performers on stage happen only once for a room full of uh, appreciative people. So it's really neat to get all of that um, artistic energy that's that's just swirling around the city um, and getting it onto uh, my little podcast and trying trying to share that uh both with the internet and the future, because it's it's certainly um, 
certainly a special little time. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that what's happening is uh, we do this work at a new uh, theater space, uh, a artist-run comedy theater space in downtown Portland above the Siren Theater. It's called the Kickstand Comedy Space. And um, in addition to my podcast, Derailer, there's um, a handful of podcasts that either uh, had a little bit of energy behind them before they came to Kickstand, but also uh, we are getting a few new podcasts up off the ground uh, under the Kickstand uh, umbrella. Are these comedy podcasts? Yeah, okay. they're they're live. You know, um, I can tell you all about them, but that's that's something to mention. So, uh, you said that there's a particular brand of Portland improv mm-hmm. comedy. You know, and I know that. Uh, so, improv comedy has become its own podcast genre. Yeah, right. Sort of. Uh, I think comedy bang bang is is sort of the 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 touchstone many people turn to. But there's many many shows out there that are based upon doing some version of of improv comedy. And can you, can you kind of, well, first, can you kind of explain for, for people who, who may not really know what it means to what improv comedy means as opposed to sort of like Saturday night live or sketch comedy. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm new to the world of, of comedy improv. I've been taking classes here in Portland, uh, almost as long as I've been podcasting with you. It's been a little bit of the, a journey at the same time as the radio survivor journey. So um, I'm no expert, but um, improvisation is a cult that I have joined. And uh, there's a lot of eye contact and a lot of. Uh, yeah, but, but as, as a listener <laughs> or, or someone goes to a theater, yes. like, like, so what, it, what are you seeing? Or what do you, what, what is there? What is the expectation it, compared to like, say going to the second city where you would see sketch comedy of the style that's that's not unlike, say, Saturday Night Live. Yeah, so there's we like to talk about this um, because from an audience perspective, what you're seeing is magic. Uh, uh, stories that um, appear to have been uh, decided upon and written beforehand um, are happening on stage. And so a lot of you know uh, new audience members to seeing comedy improv uh, – have that experience and that reaction. That but, they, but I mean, so uh, I know you're dancing around it. It's here. hard to define. So what are you asking? Well, Let's go I mean, one more time. Yeah. So you are, so what, what, I mean, how is improv comedy different from sketch comedy? And I okay. think most people are very familiar from well, sketch. Yeah. Uh, the stories are being uh, spontaneously written and performed collaboratively by the people standing up on stage. And so uh, prior to, Prior to them uh, stepping forward into the lights, they do not have any uh, preconceived notions about the plot of of the work that they are about to present, and that's and uh, it sounds terrifying, but it's actually really um, it works every time because uh, much like much like a jazz musician uh, has already practiced uh, their craft, and then they can get together in a room with with strangers and play certain standards uh, and do improv. Uh, music, uh, improv, improv comedy performers um, have honed their craft to the point where they they have a certain amount of um, agreed upon rules to get to get them moving forward. But yeah, it's a story that is often uh, amusing, if not uh, downright hilarious, that uh, is being written and performed right there on the spot in front of the audience. And and a scenario 
may have been agreed on ahead of time, like the sort of the, the context, you know, or it might be sometimes, it the, might, sometimes the format. Yeah. So, which is a fancy way of saying like, what is the structure of the story you're about to see? So without knowing what the content of the story is, they might've decided that the first thing that's going to happen is that uh, one person, one performer is going to step forward and start monologuing. And then another performer is going to step forward and start monologuing. And they agreed that all the every member of the team is going to uh, step up to the front of the stage and take a turn doing, uh, you know, four lines of a monologue that they haven't written that they're making up. But so that format uh, can be agreed upon ahead of time. There's also formats here in Portland uh, at you know the Curious Comedy Theater that are um, improv improvised musicals. And so they don't know what the musical is going to be about, but they know when they're going to have a group number. And they're going to just start singing. Yes. Well, the, and, and it's an agreed upon structure that they know that there's a group number here in the middle and a group number here at the <laughs> but end. But they don't know the lyrics. They right. don't know what the song. And, and they sometimes don't know who the characters are. Audience, they'll ask the audience for, for topics right. or themes, right? And that's, that's often the case just to sort of prove that it's made up. Yeah. You, you want to get the audience involved so that they know that they, uh, they're not seeing some sort of uh, – Music Man style scam where they're yeah. being lied to, and then you know, in, in movies, uh, people might be familiar with, like, say, specifically the movies from director Christopher Guest. Uh, you know, there's uh, which would be like This Is Spinal Tap or Best in Show are are they're improvised movies, and and in the fact that there's there's sort of a general agreed upon plot, but but much many of the scenes are actually improvised. There's mm-hmm. no written dialogue, and and things can change, and and the actors are expected to to basically make it up, but also to do so in a manner which you, which you, you pointed out like in, in sort of like jazz musicians, you know, there are, there's rules. There's, there's a little bit of structure so yeah. that you don't have somebody uh, attempting to grandstand and take over and push everybody out of the way. It happens. Those people aren't usually invited back. Yes, but right. But that, it, because again, they're sort of violating the norms They're violating the yeah. rules. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, intended it's a to be real, a collaborative. It's very collaborative. It's a very sharing environment. Um, you definitely, uh, we'll find that improvisers, you know, the ones that I know, especially here in Portland, uh, devote them their energy to making the other people on stage look good. And that, so that really is a, is an incredible group of people to work with. So what what makes this Portland style unique? What what, what why is this something well, that that, that I that documenting? I can only speculate? But I have a theory that um, since uh, nobody in Portland is paying the bills <laughs> with their with their comedy, you sort of. Um, have a have a less aggressive environment than in other cities where where uh, improv improv and comedy can be a job and so you might have you know and there's in, very few cities where that's true probably. in los angeles los chicago angeles. and new york yeah, perhaps yeah, exactly. and i don't even know if new yorkers can make a living off their comedy well, there's, uh, do they do improv at the uh upright citizens brigade they do it there do yes. they get paid some to do people it do there? yeah right. which is which is a, a theater which is well known for helping to promulgate uh improv comedy yeah. and teach improv comedy but i wonder if it's sort of like you know i would make a comparison to indie rock right you have these like scenes that come up you know often in in you know not in New York not in in the big major cities but in smaller cities and it seemed to be often fed by the fact that there's a you know a lot of cooperative energy mm-hmm. or a lot of right. often you know uh, bands work together or they they end up inadvertently creating a style together because they're all playing in the same venues playing in the same bills and they're able to sort of pursue it because they're not necessarily all fighting to you know to get signed or to to become big stars so much as they're all 
really just want to work together and, and play together. And, and maybe they hope, of course, that they'll make careers out of it. But that, that sometimes is not necessarily – the primary thing at the moment. Do you think that's kind of a, a parallel to yeah. what you're just dis- And you know, I just realized that I've uh, stepped out into dangerous territory because I've I've actually been flirting with the concept of uh, launching a new podcast around this very idea to sort of dig into it more. Because I mean, one thing it's important to mention is that um, everybody, everybody in the Portland improv scene uh, took serious classes in other cities and have brought those ideas here so uh there's austin there's los angeles there's chicago there's new york it's all a part of uh portland's and i think that's true for la la is very chicago uh i mean the ucb theater uh if i'm gonna get uh, a little nerdy about improv the upright citizens brigade theater uh is uh has its roots in chicago and maybe all improv has its roots. People who who studied at the Second City, yeah. uh, in the form of Del Close. Well, the, we could the we could just start a whole new podcast. Actually, there I, are course. podcasts. There are podcasts devoted so, to the history and, and my, of improv. My history isn't so great, so I don't want to. I don't want to dive too Let's deep. Let's stop into talking territory. about what improv is now. Well, well, I just wanted to set that scene. I don't want to yeah. take for granted. And and you know, you sort of describe uh, what what makes Portland unique. Yeah. And so and and there aren't a lot of podcasts, but there are some. There, and and you describe it though as community podcasting. That's yes. what you described it to me. So, uh, explain why you think that 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 this counts as kind of community podcasting. Because I think when we use the word, uh, at least here, when we mm-hmm. use the term here in Radio Survivor, people probably have the, the community radio idea in their yeah. mind. So they're thinking, oh, it's like a podcast about local public affairs, or it's a podcast yes. about local theater, or something. You know, but it's about. Right. Right. Um, and Derailer, your podcast is not about uh, – it's not about improv. No, we make art. It's radio art. Yeah. And so, so maybe explain that a little bit more. Well, so uh, specifically the kickstand comedy space, which is the, the, the small theater where I've been devoting a lot of my volunteer energy, um, is a community space. It's a resource. It's a new one. So it's, a, it's scrappy and it's very small. And uh, what you get when you go there is um, a real sense of uh, people from the comedy community, uh, specifically the improv comedy community, but also the stand-up comedy community in Portland, are there uh, together to see art. That And, and um, it's definitely at the moment uh, more of a place where Artists support each other than um, outsiders come, but they're clearly uh, that's changing because as the momentum uh, grows for the space, it, it becomes more well known outside of this insular community. Um, but because but it's not insular in that you're welcoming of oh, others, right? And, so yeah. it's, it's not insular Doors by are design. Open. Yeah, yeah, uh, and but it's 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 a community space and it's a place where art is being uh, performed, written, uh, created uh, by local people. Uh, it's, and it's going up there. And it's also um, a place where people can gather and hang out. Uh, they sell, there's a bar because it's a theater. And so uh, because it's a community space, um, the, the work that goes on there, it, you know, I come from community radio. And so I, 
I feel at home in this uh, in this theater, even though I'm one of the only people who keeps using that word community. Yeah, I mean, and and I think that's accurate from what you've told me. What I know, I haven't been there yet, so I, I I'm naive to it, except for your descriptions, and then what I what things I do know about improv comedy and having seen improv comedy here in Portland and mm-hmm. in other cities. And and I think that that calling a community is right because I think if we look back on all sorts of artistic movements, they are, many of them are communities, whether it's whether it's Dadaists or whether it's, you know, punk rock at CBGB's, mm-hmm. you know, my understanding I was not there in 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 Manhattan in 1975 uh down in the Bowery, but my understanding is that, you know, if the Ramones were on stage, it wasn't necessarily a crowd full of Ramones fans so much it was a bunch of other people in other bands that play at CBGB's. Yeah. And as word word spread, certainly more music fans, more journalists, more people started to come. But much of it was this community of musicians doing something different, supporting each other in a venue which permitted them to play right. when many others wouldn't. And 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 while like I as from what I know from reading about the punk rock movement that you've just referenced, um the the center of it the nucleus might have been on stage at CBGB's, but spreading out from that right. are tentacles of other artistic forms. Uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure WBAI, for instance, had something on its airwaves. Yeah, the Pacifica were, Station in New York, yeah, yeah. That, like a talk show. I mean, that, right. I just made that up, but I know that um, I know that there were uh, um, public access television shows that grew out of that right. movement, as well as uh, literature and uh fashion and uh recorded music all coming out of the community that was uh that was um centered around the CBGB stage. So and I think community kind of radio thing. does that too, right? I mean, on the one hand you have the people who volunteer there. You have right. you know the DJs, the hosts, and they are certainly a community and it spreads out because certainly you have listeners. But then there's but there's an interaction that's different I think uh because Mostly, your community radio personalities—they're not—they're not up on a on a on a pillar, right? They're a phone call away when they're on the air. Uh, these days, they're tweet away, they're email away. They might meet you, might know them, you might meet them in the coffee shop, and in smaller mm-hmm. cities, it, it's even closer knit. And I remember, you know, one of my first experiences at community radio at WEFT in Champaign Urbana, Illinois, which is the home to University of Illinois. I was there, and the phone rang. And I, you know, I was just, I think I was just doing some volunteer time. So I wasn't on the air and I pick it up. And so it's like, Hey, um, you guys should know what's, what's the show at the blind pig tonight. Yeah. And just the assumption that, that, uh, if the, if anyone was going to know, and this was a pre sort of mostly pre internet. So it's probably like 1994, 1995, uh, before Google existed, if anyone was going to know the community radio station. And I did because up on the wall, always somebody put up the new weekly flyer for the blind pig, which was a club. Right. Uh, so I could say, hold on a second, go around the corner, look at the bulletin board and say, yeah, the show is whatever tonight. And the bands to the blind pig would often come through the studios because it was just a few blocks away, whether for an interview, maybe an, you know, and often the, the, the impromptu live performance where it's just an acoustic guitar or people beating on a file cabinet to make drums and things like that. And right, so you you build the community, and right, there's the the interior part of it, which is the people who are very active in volunteering and making it happen, right. who may come to each other's shows or be volunteering or hanging out in between when when are people on the air, and then there's the larger as it spreads, the people who are influenced who come in and watch or whatever, and I think that I think that that's right, and so 
now let's hang this on the podcast. Why, why a podcast? Why, 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 do, why have a podcast that's situated uh, with this space, Kickstand? Well, um, that's interesting because this is just one podcast and Kickstand um, has a handful. And it's mine and it's my opportunity <clears throat> as a radio artist to get to make things that I've uh, really been dying to make uh, for a decade now. Uh, making radio drama and uh, and getting it done collaboratively. Not you know a lot of the work that I was able to do uh, right before I left KPFA in uh, 2011 was um, I finally got to do a lot of radio drama, but uh, it it was solo work because I hadn't I didn't have a group of right. uh, of friends. Who who could perform? Together. So you're sharing some of the improv, then you're, you're recording a little some of what happens on the stage. Well, um, it's what we're doing is uh, sitting in front of microphones because that's the most important thing when you make yeah. radio. You can't you can't sit you can't set up a microphone near a stage and make radio out sure. of a live performance. Uh, people have to perform into microphones. So um, on the one hand, you've already uh, sort of. Uh, kind of kicked the legs out of some of the table of what's really amazing about what's going on at kickstand because people are not up on their feet uh in front of an audience uh they're sitting down and it changes things and, and they're speaking and, into but microphones someone could, someone could show up and watch though yes but um wait ask that question again could i show up and watch Oh, in the uh, audience. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> five, five forty-five to six forty-five p.m. on Mondays. We are recording uh, our our show because We've, so much of the time a, st- a studio where yeah. a podcast will be happening, either explicitly or metaphorically, the door will be closed, right? And there's an on-air sign no, this, or something. We we have uh, we're trying to build it towards being. Um, a live show. We've we've actually recorded the new episode that's on that's up as of uh, yesterday when we're recording this of the Derailer show is a live show in front of a a really wonderful audience. So the laughs are are evident. But you were asking about um yeah, I asked why a podcast. Why a podcast? Because I make podcasts. Yeah, and and so but <laughs> there's a lot of but there's a lot of ways that that these things can be shared. But okay. what is it? Yeah, what does it do? Uh yeah, hopefully people who haven't who don't have the opportunity or haven't taken the opportunity yet to see a show at Kickstand uh will will now get that because it's on the internet and the internet is worldwide. Or what if I am nowhere near Kickstand? Right. What if I'm in Osaka or exactly. in Anchorage? So the internet is worldwide, so it it gives you that chance. I mean, because I think that, um, you know, often the, the uh, in the sort of pre-podcasting era, mm-hmm. audio comedy for most people is pretty limited. Pretty much it was comedy albums. Right, stand-ups. And, and, it, and principally stand-up. You had sort of this sort of radio theater tradition uh, in the 70s and the 60s, whether it was like Vaughn Meters, The First Family. Uh, Mike or, Nichols. Or Mike Nick, right, and Elaine Nichols and, May. Nichols and May or the National Lampoon or Fire Sign Theater. But that kind of petered out by the time we're into the 80s. Pretty much most people's experience was stand-up comedy. And and many of those were, were of course, uh, in, in, the, in the late 80s and early 90s, they were you know platinum albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so why, uh, why not have an album or, you know, why not, you know, why, why not have, you know, sort of 
call, you know, like a lot of times what they do is you call, right? You call the best and you release it all as, as an album or something, mm-hmm. something of the sort, right? Um, which is kind of what a standup does. They, 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 they do their routine, you know, on a tour, on several tours, they get really polished until they finally feel like, okay, I'm ready to like, to lay this to tape and, and to release it. Cause I, I feel like I, I really got my good hour together. So, you know, so my question is, is, is with a podcast, it's much more, um, I mean, so you're, it's not just one, right? It's right. not, it's not going to be, it's called, it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's, it's every week. Uh, why, why does that serve this medium, this particular form of, of, uh, of improv comedy? Well, um, for one, in, because improv is live theater being written and performed at the same time by a group of people, uh, it's it's actually very exciting to think about um, seven or eight writers, people who are thinking all the time about both what's going on in their lives and what's going on in their communities and what's going on in the world, uh, getting together and creating something that's dramatic and fun at the same time and that being a moment in time. And so when you capture that moment in time week by week, you really, um, when you have the opportunity to listen to that uh, fresh, you're really getting, um, you know, there's, we record a podcast, uh, we'll record a pod, we recorded a podcast last week that um, is probably a little more spring time. And springtime in Portland is a very special thing since we are subjected to uh, quite an, quite a uh, extreme form of winter uh not not snow and cold but very gray and very uh sunless and then uh, all of a sudden the, you know the sun comes out and so you're getting people in your community creating art uh at the same time as you're living your life uh it's it's very immediate and so how does the podcast serve the community then well uh it's art for the community for you know it's 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 something for the people here now uh right now i think about the community uh, that that this podcast is directed at as actually being um the considerable group of people doing improv in portland because it's it's definitely in the hundreds uh, of active improvisers people who who every week put a little bit of their energy, if not every single ounce of their free time. Uh, most of these people have day jobs outside of the arts. They're hardworking. There's a whole lot of computer programmers. And uh, and so at the moment, when I'm thinking of the kernel, because of course I'd love for there to be an audience beyond that kernel, but the first, the first group of people, the first dozens of audience members, uh, community members that I'm thinking of, is um those those people and so i think it's nice that they can hear themselves and them, their friends uh making good radio and there's a tension there though and this this to me this is an interesting yeah. tension right i feel it because on the one hand when you make something for uh, a, a knowledgeable crowd an in crowd if you will mm-hmm. um it's sometimes not as accessible not on purpose necessarily, but not as accessible to people who are not part of the crowd or less familiar with the form. Right. So uh, that's always fascinating. I mean, for one thing, uh, I would say that of with all these dozens and dozens and dozens 
of serious artists that I now have the opportunity to to meet and get to know, um, a lot of them are thinking about these ideas all the time. Like aware of the fact that they are doing improv for a crowd of improvisers and they're going to get certain laughs that are uh, insider laughs that other improvisers are aware of what's happening inside of everyone's brains in a way that's not the case for, mm-hmm. for another audience. But, um, these artists, these performers, uh, are always, uh, seeking out those outsider audiences to perform for. Um, there's a really wonderful, uh, show that I had the chance to, to, to see that took place at the museum here. The Portland museum, uh, did a crossover, a collaboration with with my kickstand friends where first um an artist being exhibited in the Portland Museum would speak about their work little a little slideshow presentation and then uh the improvisers would do their thing uh, sucking in the details sucking in the emotional truths of what had just been uh, presented uh, and then doing uh theatrical comedy improv based on that work and so that was um that was 90% of the audience was a totally different crowd than who would show up at a, at a kickstand show. I mean, mm-hmm. 99% of the audience. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, the community of people that I'm working with, um, they have that in mind. They don't right. always want to just play to the choir. And to me, I mean, there's always that tension, right? And it's any art. Because right. I often enjoy art that is difficult. Yeah, or community radio. How right? often is the community radio audience only talking to? And itself? how often is community radio confounding? Right. And I enjoy some of that. Right. Where there's a show where they're playing uh, essentially noise music, which is sometimes right. indistinguishable from bad reception, and it's on purpose and it's artful, and yet it's alienating and sure. difficult to to get to. Um, and and I'm. And that's what I love about community radio and college radio is is radio willing to challenge people's perceptions, challenge people's assumptions and their ears. At the same time, it can be alienating. It can, you know, it can be what what am I listening to? And I don't want to hear this. And so one reaction can be turn it off. Another reaction I've been on the receiving end of it is the phone call. Yeah. I mean, I've had the angry phone call. Uh, someone uh, calling and saying, "What are you playing? This is terrible. You're you're offending me with with this thing, and you should not do it." And I've heard, I've had received pledge drive calls where, like, I would be giving you fifty dollars, except this <laughs> show so offends me. The pledge drive ultimatum. Yeah, right. Uh, because it just doesn't belong, and, but, and, and 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 you know, and and the sort of the the argument. Well, then don't listen to it. it just doesn't work. Yeah, and right? well, it also you just made me think about the idea of um, left progressive community radio having a certain tone that uh, doesn't always include uh, even like minded people who aren't. Yeah, who aren't already built in, uh, ready to be listeners to that radio. Uh, they're sort of. Um, Sometimes it, to me, I think about it being like the sky is falling or these people are uh, these people are the worst people in the dot, dot, dot. And right. they're doing this to us. And if and and uh, and I think it's something that we've talked about before in the podcast and offline. Um, there's often a like if people only knew about this thing. <laughs> then the world would be better. Place. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, the awareness uh, paradigm. Yeah. And so there's a like, and yeah, I would definitely say that uh, that's something that community radio people 
should ha- should have in the back of their minds as well. Are they are they speaking just to the the regulars, or are they uh, trying to be uh, more inclusive? Yeah, broadening their scope. Yeah. So, and it's an interesting, I think, problem with podcasting, right? Yeah. So with radio, you have an effective monopoly on one frequency. And in any given city or any given area, there are uh, there's a discrete number of these frequencies that are receivable. So somebody who is who who hits seeker scan on their radio will has a one in twenty some chance of of hitting your station in yeah. some particular area, and or somebody will be listening to the show prior and may leave the radio on for a number of reasons. So even someone who's doing something very challenging has an opportunity to reach these sort of passive listeners, stumble upon listeners, yep. some percentage of which may leap <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the scan button or the off button, some of whom may uh, not be so, so negatively motivated and may hang on through it and end up being sort of seduced by something unusual. Something new, yeah, that they hadn't planned on being exactly. a fan of. Podcasting is not a stumble upon experience. Yeah. Moreover, it is definitely uh, an experience that people truly select it. They truly seek out any by any number of mechanisms and then choose to listen, right? And and we're we're still on the cusp of the kind of on demand era, right? When when your app when you could just sort of press play in your app and it just plays. It's it's sort of that way on on uh, your computer. But we're still almost in that area where you first have to have to subscribe and then get it. Right. There's a lot of steps that someone has to take. And when you're doing something that might be unusual or not so mainstream uh, or 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 it may be in form, not that it's a little different. Yeah. How, well, do, you, yeah. how do you how do you square that circle? Well, um, this is fun because we this is something that's an ongoing uh, thought process. I mean, on the uh, first and foremost uh, I started the work because I wanted to do the work. Um, it just was important to me to make a new podcast. And, uh, and, and I had some audience in mind, but that audience uh, was um, very, very narrow. And the work, you know, when we get together and set, sit down at the kickstand comedy space and get around the table and start to make this radio show, um, what we're going to do uh, on Monday, this coming this coming session, is uh, a developed idea compared to what we started with twelve weeks ago when we began. And so that I love. I love that it's turning into something new. And that's podcasting in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think. and a lot of endeavors. And so um, it might. It's actually becoming more important to me now. Now that the artists who are collaborating to make it. Um, are all more on the same page than we have ever been before. It's fun to start thinking about how do we, how do we um, make something that other that people other than us and our friends can enjoy. But um, but while perhaps maintaining a sense of the art, what makes it special, yeah. right? Because I mean, and that's an essential tension, right, between sort of making something that's popular, yeah, well, and making something this, that satisfies. This just came up with a with a new friend of mine who's a, a a a smart guy. He knows what he's doing, and he's working for the Kickstand Comedy Space in public relations. So his goal is to 
uh, is to get the word out about the shows that are going on, the live theater that can be seen here in Portland if you wanted to come to the kickstand comedy space on on the nights that shows are happening. And when he was he was explaining to me that his what his goal to get somebody to come to a derailer show, uh, his his goal was for 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 the intern at the weekly to care enough about the 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 announcement of the show to put it into the calendar of events and uh what was required was that we had to tell that uh imaginary intern exactly what the show was and it had to be compared to something that they already knew and already knew they liked and that that was like a puzzle that is taking me a few weeks to solve it's didactic you have to be didactic and 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 often great art is the opposite of didactic yeah and as a creative person who's doing this uh for love and because it was a a real um there's like this this has been like a fantasy project of mine for a long time to make to make radio art like this mm-hmm. and it it's it's not it's not like other comedy podcasts very yeah. much at all. And I hope you uh, you should insert some of it in here somewhere. We should you sh- we should take a break. I don't know where, but you really must because I think we've been talking about it and people need to hear it. Yeah. Maybe they hear it right now. Every episode is different, guys. But but give it, you know, but a sense of it. I'll be in a group of people and I'll be they'll say be like what's your name and I'll be like Oh, my name's Ryan, and there'll be, and someone else will pipe up. No, his name's the professor, and the the professor is like the prevailing prevailing uh, name that I'm called in that in that realm. So much that that uh, after a couple years, I was there one time, and some friends who knew me as Ryan Ryan were happened to be in my camp, and they were yelling like Ryan, Ryan. But everyone for weeks had been calling me the professor, so it didn't even click in my brain. I'm just like, what? And I looked around, I didn't see anything. I'm like, they must not be talking to me, and left. It's funny how, how anywhere I go, it's kind of like, you know, you know, when you have a phone and each person has a different ringtone and you can kind of tell, you know, whatever, like if anyone just like yells a nickname, I kind of like know before I look on who it actually is. I had a, a contingent of friends in, in high school who liked to call me uh, cyborg because I'm hyperlogical and they thought that that uh, I didn't have, like, proper human emotions. I had a job one time when I was young. I was Twinkie the Kid, and everyone started calling me Twinkie. That really sucked. Blaps Brothers, come on in here. Come on in. Sit down, sit down. Do you know why you're in here? Uh, no. Look, giving kids the nicknames is one thing, but you can't go around posting on social media names for all the teachers. Do you two know how serious it is to accuse someone of being a white supremacist? What? What? We didn't say that word. Mm-hmm. No, we didn't. No, we just said, you know, that the nickname was Knights of the Old Republic. That was your name. Why, I, I don't understand why that's wrong. Because I have a screenshot right here. Knights of the Old Republic would be one thing. I would be completely fine with a Star Wars reference. That is cool. I play. But you called me White Defender of the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's well, what your face says. Yeah, Do you not see skin. the difference? The reason why I bring this up, right, because I work in podcasting. And 
You work because with some very uh, successful comedy work podcasts. Work for some. I work, yeah. We, and, and yeah, you don't create them. I do not create them. You I can help take no get credit. The word out. But I spend quite a time thinking about why why they are. Popular. Yeah, and those those podcasts in the Earwolf Network are certainly uh, something that every single person, including myself, is very familiar with. It's like sort of the the ground on which we're standing as as far as comedy podcasts. I also feel special because before comedy podcasts existed, I was thinking about making stuff like this. Uh, at, at radio stations. Right. And I, 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 and that's where it started. Yeah. And I want to mention, uh, Joe Frank now and forever as being, uh, one of the first times I heard radio that, um, radio drama, as they say, mm-hmm. uh, making art on the radio. That was, that was, um, as exciting to me as a, as a good movie. Yeah. And, and different. And, you know, the thing about Joe Frank partially is, is that it's hard to have a new Joe Frank on the radio. Because he's an historical yeah. well, kind of figure. He, he was a professional who got who got paid a decent wage at one point, and then would he'd complain about it a little bit in the body of his show event. You know, because I know that in the late nineties that uh, that living wage had shrunk. But at one point, he was he was an artist creating in his medium and uh, a professional. And and he could and it was devote a lot of resources to his program. It was in the days before automation, so you had to have a live human somewhere in the station for it to be on the air. Uh, I think it was all. I think he made that show on tape. Though I mean, it's all. It's a, it's a very uh, yeah tape. And uh, that's that's the from the lore that I've okay, gotten. So it maybe I all, misunderstand. Yeah. It was all recorded onto uh, magnetic tape and okay. then cut together by I him. See. Okay, but um, but it's still an historical. Point, it's because radio isn't there anymore in a lot of ways. Uh, it doesn't have the same sort of one cultural prominence, right? nor are the commercial entities willing to take chances like they once were because they're mostly under right. significant debt. Those, those chances are now being taken in the world of the podcast. Yeah. And Joe Frank is also unique because he was unique, meaning there, aren't, there weren't 100 or 200 of him. No, and and a, it's important to to recognize that. Yeah, he was a very unique writer, performer slash editor, and the and the opportunity was unique. Still is. I'd like to hear new radio from Joe Frank. You know, but I but I think it's important to to note that that there wasn't an opportunity for thousands and thousands and thousands of Joe Franks, despite the fact there were thousands of stations, right. because it was very few stations willing to take that chance. If anyone's ever heard though, uh, Benjamin Walker's. Uh, radio shows and now podcasts. The Theory of Everything. Uh, the Theory of Everything. And prior to that, it was um, too much information. Uh, his work is inspired by Joe Frank. He's but, doing okay. And I, and I sort of wanted to, you know, uh, you know the, the flip side of the podcast, right? So on the one hand, you, you have to seek it out. You have to know it's there and you have to want to listen to it and persist, even if it's a little confounding, right? Um, and that's something the podcaster probably ought to consider. I don't – and I'm not giving advice that you ought to uh, bend over for it, that you ought to simply iron out all the wrinkles and all the interesting things to simply make a podcast. That's- How would you stand out if you sounded like everybody else? Exactly. I mean that's that's the difficult part. And yet I think uh, often – I think that a lot of people, podcasters, wish they were on the radio with what they do. 
and there's a magic to radio. But I think it's – you know, I think what's an interesting thing to point out is that for most people in at least commuter college radio have absolutely no clue or conception who is listening or how many there are. Right. And especially since much of this sort of difficult radio or comedy radio or sort of improvised radio, or narrative radio of this sort happens late at night, there probably are very few listeners. And in fact, very often with a podcast, you will be reaching more listeners. And even – and people may look at and, – and, and, and sort of the double-edged sword of podcasting is that if you use a podcast host, you'll know how many people downloaded it. And sometimes that note that that number leaves you a little crestfallen. Yeah. People see the number in front of them, 50, 75, 100, and think, oh my gosh, that's not a lot of people. But a community radio station or a low-power FM station at midnight may indeed have fewer people than that listening at any given hour. But you're gleefully you're sort of ignorant. You're you're insulated from that. Right. And, and and the feedback you might get, like phone calls. I mean, if you get three or four phone calls an hour, you're gonna feel like I'm on top of the world, but that may be all your listeners. That might be all three of them. Right? Um and and you know, and with radio, yes, you may get in front of or into the ears of people who weren't expecting it or weren't looking for you. And that stumble upon is very difficult to replicate. Uh, but it can work against you. Right. Uh, in the same way, S- especially now that radio is is less primary in so many ways for people. Right. Uh, there's fewer people, especially who might be looking for comedy in particular. Right. I think people go looking for radio that they, they have probably their uses are I could probably name them off. They're looking for news, weather, sports, information, music of a particular type usually or probably uh, uh, they're probably also looking uh, – some of them are looking for uh, sermon, right? Oh, yeah. they're, they're looking for inspiration, religious inspiration. Um, and then they're you know, maybe looking for political opinion. And that's kind of it, right? Uh, and so the number of people who might even now turn to radio – For art. Hoping to get art. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't deliver it. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. Uh, but I think it's probably fewer – and fewer. And people the, may be more my, looking my to, podcast, to podcast for art. My <laughs> podcast uh, has shockingly, but not – it shouldn't be surprising. But a friend who who uh, performs and, and creates the, the thing with me shared it with a family member who compared it favorably to a Prey Home Companion. Interesting. Yeah. And it was – that was both delightful yeah. and, uh, and so strange. But I was like, oh, of course, because that's the only – dominant radio art that's all there is in most people's for, for most people hometowns. that's right and uh and it made me uh, it made me like pray home companion a little bit more because and i had kind of happened to know that what he's been doing with his radio program is keeping a radio tradition alive from a few generations ago yeah uh that that radio performance that live theater was a lot more prominent uh in in ye oldie times yeah and so Feel free to cut this out. So I'm going to speak a little <laughs> more specifically, but I think it's important. Let's do it. So, and I listened to, and I've listened to only one episode. So I have not taken in the full uh, fullness of what you've done. I listened to episode number nine and I found it a little inscrutable, right? A little confounding. And that was good because it really forced me to think a little bit more about this, this 
tension. Right. And I, let me let me put words in your mouth. I think the reason why you were confused when you listened to it is because I don't begin the program by going, hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein. You're listening to the podcast that I make. Coming up uh, next, after I tell you about my show tour dates and my Twitter profile, coming up next is some improvised uh, comedy that I created with my friends. It also centers around the theme of nicknames. And first, you're going to hear some man on the street interviews. I don't do that. No. I just play you some tape. It took me, a, uh, as I said, 26 minutes to really <laughs> feel certain of what was going on. And I, by then I was pretty certain. And that experience can be frustrating. I want you to listen to it again someday. Not, not anytime soon. And that frustration, though, can also be productive, right? Like art that is challenging can be good. And right. I don't – so – and 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 yet um, why I think it's – uh, worth talking about with regard to podcasting in particular is because of the fact that you don't have a captive audience in the same way as right. you would with radio. And so one of the things that I think I'm taking for granted, but I'm not taking for granted, I'm actually uh, very grateful, is that um, the group of people that I've brought on to work with are uh, somewhat prominent artists in this community. And uh, they like what's happening, and that's been really wonderful because that's a surprise, right? And that's an that's that, and that yeah. is very important. And so, I, so if I have ten people who participate on a regular basis in the creation of the of the show, and they're happy with how I edit it, uh, I think I think we're developing slowly like a reputation for art worth paying attention to. Um, it's yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely. Um, it's not comedy bang bang, right? Which and, is an extremely popular comedy podcast and, that and makes can, sense. And, it's, and can it actually be confounding to new listeners as well? Uh, you know, I can. You know, the conceit is it's a talk show and there's an interview, but then it gets inter- interrupted right, by bang, various bang. people who wander into the studio. That that's the conceit. But if you are tuning in hoping to get that interview with the celebrity guest in its entirety, you you will be frustrated because you'll never get it. Yeah, because all of a sudden, right when Patton Oswalt was about to answer a question, uh, a very ridiculous character played by an improv improv comedian will stumble into the to the show and, uh, and dominate, yes. yeah, dominate it. And that's, that's part of the, the yeah, fiction, but it, it's, it's not explained Comedy to you outright. Bang. Like it, it will never be explained to you yeah. when you tune into the show, but because the show takes on sort of familiar forms, yes, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's a little bit more seductive. Including, in uh, yeah, it, it starts off as a radio talk show. Yeah. Yeah. Our show with a known um, host, you know, who, who's there every week yeah. and, and plays the part. Our show is a lot more like a, like, like an experimental a documentary, right? Where, where and you I don't think that's know. right. And 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 you use forms that I've seen used in television, right? Like it's not unusual to see sort of sketches or other right. things interspersed with a man on the street interview, or or extreme man on the street interview, like Billy, like Billy on the street. Um, but television gives you all these extra cues, visual yeah. cues right. that immediately reveal what's going on. And that's just the one episode you listened to. Yeah. The also known as nickname episode was one where I combined the the live uh, theatrical comedy improv uh, with man on the street interviews with people who I talked to about their nicknames yeah. and then uh, created a montage. Other episodes have been a little less uh, – 
a little less in scope. Yeah. And, and I think it's really important that people are pushing the boundaries of podcasting often in ways that might be challenging or inscrutable or frustrating for some listeners. Uh, and it, it would be, uh, completely inappropriate hubris for me to generalize my experience yeah. to everyone. I also think though, there's a little bit of the uh, a parallel I would use is like buying records, which I guess people don't do anymore, but uh, you used to, right? And often you would buy records uh, that you hadn't heard. Mm-hmm. You know, a certain class of collector. I'm certainly one of those people. You know, and so you might go into a particular genre area in the record store. If you were lucky, it was one of those great independent record stores where they might have staff picks and they would write you know, on an index card a quick little blurb of what they liked about it. And so you might take someone's suggestion. But mostly you would go in unheard. So you had to judge on the cover art. Mm-hmm. Maybe where it was. Maybe if you'd maybe heard of the band name and you take a chance, right? And in so many cases, you might get a record. You'd be like, oh, okay, I thought this would be punk rock and it's kind of punk rock. Or you'd say, I thought it was punk rock, but they have a tuba? What's going on? And maybe you would be like, oh, wait, punk rock with a tuba is really cool. Or you might be, this violates all my norms of punk rock and I, I will sell it immediately. I will, I will throw it out. Um, and I think a podcast can be a similar way. Uh, people aren't exchanging money, but they're, they're taking a dive. And I've done that. Right? I've looked and said, oh, this podcast looks interesting. I'll listen to it and go, huh, it uh, didn't really do it for me. In some cases, I get 10 minutes in and right. I'm gone. I'm out. In some cases, I go, well, there's potential. So maybe this is just not the episode for me and I'll check out another episode um, and, then, you know, and then reserve judgment. Or you know, I'll come back to it with different ears and – the podcast will, I'll be like, oh, okay, I, 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 I didn't get it and now I get it. In the same way that I have sometimes bought a, a CD that I listened to the first time and like, I don't get it. I don't hate it. Yeah. And I'm so, sort of, I don't get rid of it, but it just could have buried. And, and then someone says to me, uh, you should really listen to that CD again. It's really worth your attention. I'll go, okay. And that, that recommendation or recontextualization giving me a new way of thinking about it and approaching it allows me to take it in in a way that I that I, well, I simply couldn't before. Yeah, you should you should check out some of the other episodes because I think what what might have accidentally happened was that um we'd established a format as we talked about, you know, who speaks first and what they say and then how that leads yeah. into the improv uh through through creative uh um organic a, a, an organic creative process over the weeks we had established a format with the show and then on that particular nickname episode i took it to another level that uh now that i think about it might have been designed just to please me mm-hmm. as a as a radio producer i um i put i put a, a very heavy hand uh, on the editing and uh, in a way that uh um, makes me smile, and it's something that I want to hear in all my podcasts. But I now I realize, oh, there are people that aren't used to this many cuts yeah. in a radio program, right? Uh, in a radio program that doesn't uh, well, that isn't cuts, all things considered cuts that, says, that aren't announced. Yeah, and now you are going to hear the voice of so and so who is a so and so, and this is what they think about so and so, and then you hear them. Say that, or, or, that's usually or what radio is. This American Life, which will use a lot of cuts. But that's what they, before they, can, they cut, they tell you. Or, or if they don't, because they don't always tell you, but they provide auditory cues. 
uh, you know, so it may be somebody who's on right. the phone. It may be uh, live audio. So you can tell it's it's like outside you, or you, somewhere else. You're you are always introduced to the person who is speaking, either immediately preceding them speaking or very soon after. And if you hear them again, it's implicit that you're supposed to know who they are. Their voice is being repeated. Or the context will often be. You're not being introduced right. to strangers without context. Right. The way that I just did. Or in my reintroduce to them. Right. In, 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 with that, with um, the context. And, yeah, and, check out, check out uh, uh, the banality of Tanya, a.k.a. the rise and fall of finger swipe, because it's a totally different episode of Derailer. Okay, yeah, yeah. I will. And I will. I'm very happy with it. I also wanted to talk about um, some of the other shows that are happening yeah. at our little, at our comedy space, because um, what it is, it's the beginning of a community podcasting project that I'm actually, uh, it would, I wouldn't be think. I'm not sure we might end up with the same, uh, group of, of local comedy podcasts as we would have if I wasn't, uh, working on radio survivor with you for these 48 episodes of our program. What are, what number are we I think on? We're on 46. Yeah. Um, but because of my thinking about community podcasting, I'm so excited about, what's developing and it's that um, members of our portland comedy community um, many of whom have podcasts already we didn't invent the idea of comedy podcasts in portland but now um a group of people that either uh have great ideas but didn't get the chance to uh, put them into microphones and up on the internet are being given that opportunity because you're making it makes it easier yeah because i'm help because i have the soundcloud account and uh and, and there's to, microphones and a mixer yeah. and stuff they can walk in and use yeah, so, rather than have to set it all up themselves. Uh, along with another group of people that uh, had their own thing going on, but now it gets to get uh, swirled into the kickstand community. Uh, you know, they were doing it and people were listening to it on their in their living room. Uh, I'm thinking of a podcast called Gosh Darn Fiasco that's uh, produced by some uh, prominent local musicians, the Double Clicks, who. Uh, who are indie artists that uh, should be should be looked into if you like that sort of thing because they've done quite well with their with their we'll, Patreon. We'll get all this kick, in the show notes. RadioSurvivor.com slash podcast. But yeah, uh, the double clicks are are uh, community members who have been mounting podcasts in the kickstand comedy space, and that's been really that's make me really happy because they have their one community. Uh, their their fans are real people. Mm-hmm. They've never been marketed to anybody. And uh, and so the idea of that community being swirled into the to the kickstand comedy space community is really wonderful. We have a show um, with a stand up who uh, Adam Posse's time capsule that I'm very excited about. That one episode's in the can and another episode's about to be uh, put on tape uh, this week. And uh, they they have uh, comedians, his friends, coming onto the program onto the panel to talk about their old jokes that have gone stale. So Adam actually starts his first episode by trotting out his favorite material about Lance Armstrong, you know, which mm-hmm. is obsolete. Right. You, if you brought that up into a comedy club uh, tomorrow, you, people would wonder uh, why, how, how long you'd been asleep. He'll get his Tanya Harding jokes out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another guest uh, was really excited to tell his Bill Clinton jokes. He was that old. Um, so that's a really wonderful show that that's just getting going. And uh, that the notion that there could be um, more of that, 
uh, yeah, I think it's exciting all around the comedy space. That's why I wanted you to talk about it. Um, and because I think I, I've told you this uh, off mic that you know I think you know basically you have the makings of a network. Right, but we and, have to start with the shows that we have. Well, of course, that's and and I think that that's people four, four shows. Right when now. I've talked to people who who want to create podcast networks, mm-hmm. I think one of the chief stumbling blocks, right, is the cart before the horse. It's the network before the shows. The best networks happen, I think, because you had more than one podcast, and they were good. The network happens. Because you have two podcasts. Yeah. One podcast is not a network. Two podcasts, three podcasts is a network. Right. And 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 then Sound you, of Young America and Jordan Jesse Go. Right. Exactly. Which are Maximum Fun Network. Ninety nine percent invisible, and and then they came up with a nice list of other ones. Well, Radiotopia. Yeah. Yeah. And and it became the seed, right? Because they they and and you know that's a little different because they were in a place in a public radio exchange around right. lots of talent. But uh, but I think that that this idea that you start and and comedy can, bang bang and Mike Detective. Yeah, I think so. I don't even. I wasn't. I don't I'm, even know. I'm trying I to. Know I'm, I'm proving how big of a nerd I am by yeah. trying to trying to name the number, the number two, two podcast, podcast at Earwolf and maybe Sklar Brothers. Might oh been. yeah, of yeah. course it was Sklar. Yeah, yeah. So that's those are two existing uh, still existing units that came together to make a network. Yeah, because they the Sklar the Sklar Brothers podcast was successful prior to Earwolf. Right. So they, you can bring right. Well, you, can bring you two might together. be bringing in. You know, I, I think it, uh, podcasts that are existing right. and bringing them. Reading in. the Bible with Dan is is our is our established and the point of the of the program. network that I'm thinking so not in terms of it being a business necessarily though it could be is the network effect mm-hmm. right network effect is well maybe together we will be able to reach audiences more audiences who will then know us like oh this is associated with kickstand right. i hear kickstand you know i think which cbgb's did it was oh the ramones from cbgb's the blondie uh these talking heads people might be also really good it's it was so funny cbgb's came up in the improvised uh mm-hmm. comedy uh this week right. or it's sort of like uh see you know Sorry, it's a, seattle and grunge right yeah. and then we came oh there, there's these other bands that are like nirvana uh, or like Port- Soundgarden. portland had a had a uh a music venue in the '90s called the X-Ray Cafe. That was very much that. Yeah, uh, that it, performance, that sort of had which, which was the local uh, influence, which was the spiritual inspiration for the naming of the new community radio station in town, X-Ray. X-Ray. Yeah. So yeah, it's all a piece. So I think it is exciting because you know, and and you're bringing together a few factors. You know, one having a space. Yes. So even if you're expanding the space virtually through podcasting. The fact that there's a place where all these talented people can come together, maybe mm-hmm. not all at once, I think actually helps. Yeah. And Two, all- you're giving them the microphones, right? I mean, I, I, although podcasting is easy, um, it's still effort and it can be a difficult effort on your own. Uh, and, you know, it, it, and to do all these things and having one or more partners who will help you. Both yeah. in terms of encouragement, but resource, et cetera, makes it easier. And I think once you get to two or three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten podcasts happen more easily because you sort of show it can be done. And you know, you 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 end up 
being able to give new talent that leg up that maybe you didn't have for the yeah. first 10 episodes. But isn't that part of what community is, is this mutual uplift. Another thing that I'm really excited about is that back when I had when I spent all my time at KPFA, a, a big community radio station in the Bay Area, I always thought like, here we are. Uh, I happen to have the privilege of, privilege of getting paid. Here I am with a job in radio and we really have nothing to talk about if there isn't a community yeah. outside of the walls of the station who's actually doing the work of of uh, what matters to people. And so if that and that, that that would mean activists who are fighting for the rights of hotel workers or that would mean uh actors right. and 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 the theater directors who are mounting real plays for people or a film uh, festival organizers who are putting together uh, really great film festivals that people were going to go see and uh, even elected officials, all those people who are actually doing the work outside of the station would then have the opportunity to have their voices broadcast inside of the station. But um, the station itself was uh, not generating a lot of culture on its own. And it's it's really exciting to be doing something that feels like community radio in a group that has a, a much more outward facing focus than making radio. Yeah. Like it's uh it's comedy first. And and uh it's funny also because I have a I have this need to like defend comedy as a it's not serious enough. Because I come from from uh radio journalism and, yeah. and news and public affairs. And I will say now that uh, that our comedians at Kickstand, as well as comedians all over the globe, are talking about news and public affairs. Uh, yes, ev- every second, absolutely. They are talking about the North Carolina bathroom law. They are talking about Ted Cruz holding hands with Carly Fiorina on stage. And on and on and on. They're talking about Donald Trump. Right. In the same way that, that Colbert, right. you know, or The Daily Show, et cetera. And, but and I, don't, I don't know if everyone needed me to give that uh, – No, but I, I, I do understand that, that because it, 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 community radio can be sometimes very uh, arch We certainly had – unfun. You know, at KPFA in my day <laughs> – It isn't always, but it can be. There was a budget for a lot of things and there was not a budget for radio theater or for comedy. Right. That was something that uh, – that that needed to happen on on people's own time. And, you know, one of the most heartbreaking uh, emails I ever saw come into Earwolf, uh, the podcast network that I work with, was from somebody who um, was in the theater in Paris wow. uh, during the terrorist shootings last fall. And she wrote that the podcasts afterwards were basically – keeping her sane. Hmm. It's something to laugh about after having experienced that firsthand was really important to her. And, you know, it felt like her friends and, you know, and because, you know, as it is with radio and is with podcasting, you sort of do develop a relationship, I think often with your favorite hosts, uh, in it through the, uh, through the interweb. So, you know, yeah, important stuff that happens with culture and laughing. That we shouldn't simply put aside because it's not direct 
uh, explicit didactic political content. <laughs> you should know about this thing so that you can help put a stop to it. Yes, indeed. Well, I, I think uh, I really appreciate you talking about this with me, Eric. I hope it was more than just me talking about the thing I like doing. No, I, I, I don't think it was, but yeah. we'd love to hear from you. And and look, are you doing, are you, listener, when I, I'm addressing you, know, you uh, are you doing something? Are you doing podcasts? Do you want to do podcasting? Do you have thoughts about this? Because I think it's kind of a conversation uh, around this side of podcasting, trying to figure out the aesthetics and audience and why you do it and how you do it, not just in where do you plug in the microphone or, you know, who is the best host. But uh, some of these, I think, real, uh, you know, real communication choices uh, are interesting to me at the very least. And I hope that they're interesting to you because I think it helps us all explore making better podcasts, making better radio, growing what can be a podcast or what can be radio. And, uh, you know, I... W- I hope, you know, also opening up to new voices, new points of view, and broadening the scope. So we'd love to hear what you have to say. Send us an email, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. We'd love for you to record a commentary. We'd love for that to happen. Do it on the voice recorder app on your smartphone. Do it on, on your computer and send it to us. And we will share it. We, we, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Thank you talk. so much for listening. And uh, we'll see you. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>